Hi everyone, Seven Investing CEO Simon Erickson here today with another update. Today's is on Intel. Intel has got such an embedded history in the semiconductor industry, right? From Gordon Moore, uh, the founder of Intel, who created also Moore's Law and just the scalability of microprocessors. They became smaller and smaller integrated circuits, more densely packed. They've just been so important to everything that, that is using computing power in the country and in the world today. But Intel, the company, as an investment is, is one that's kind of a battleground. This is one that we can't find a consensus on whether it's a buy or it's a sell. Some people will argue that Intel is just in a turnaround phase right now. That's new CEO Pat Gelsinger, who is right there working with Gordon Moore from the very beginnings of Intel, uh, is, is the necessary force to turn this giant ship around. While others are saying that the company itself is deteriorating, its financials are getting worse and weaker each and every year. And so it's one of these battleground stocks. It's one of these that investors kind of are split on. I will kind of lay the uh, the background of what Intel is going through right now. There is, of course, a lot of geopolitical risks in the world. And the majority of the world's, of, of the entire world's uh, high-performance computing chips are made in Taiwan, uh, particularly by Taiwan Semiconductor, the company that does the manufacturing for NVIDIA, for AMD, for most of the chip designers, uh, they are using them as the manufacturing arm, an independent manufacturing foundry. Intel does things differently. They actually do the design and the manufacture. They like to control the entire process and the entire value chain. And of course, Intel is using that for its own branded chips, but it's just started in the last couple of years spending a lot more time focusing on making chips for other people. They're a third-party foundry. They call this Intel Foundry Services, or IFS, that they're wooing large customers, especially America's large tech companies, that are doing the design of their own chips to actually do the manufacturing through Intel. Intel, of course, has uh, got very deep pockets through five decades of history. Uh, it's able to secure financing. It's got a lot of cash on its balance sheet right now. And so it's building up a lot of these fabs all around the world, fabrication facilities for the manufacturing. They've got an Ohio mega fab that they've committed the first phase of $20 billion to build. That could be a $100 billion project in total by the time it's done. They secured more than $3 billion in CHIPS Act financing from the American government to support that. They are also building a second fab in Arizona, expanding upon a second fab in Arizona. They're calling Fab 42. That's another $20 billion project they've co-financed with Brookfield Asset Management. And then they've also just announced that they're building two more fabs in Germany for a total of $30 billion, 30 billion U.S. dollars, uh, with some support from the German government over there. And so why? Why is it that the United States and Germany and uh, several other countries, Japan included too, are so interested in getting manufacturing security of supply? Well, because, again, we're in a geopolitically uncertain world. Uh, we don't know if there might be military force that China attempts to exert on Taiwan. And so companies like the US and Germany and a lot of Europe and other countries are saying, if, if you can have a foundry that's available for, uh, for our tech companies, for our government chips, for defense department chips, whatever it might be that these high performance chips are going into, that's really interesting to them and it's very good for Intel. We know that they've already gotten a couple of big companies on board. Uh, for the Foundry Services Group. Qualcomm is one that's it's used them a little bit. Amazon Web Services has done a lot of design that they're using a little bit with Intel to manufacture. But again, this is still kind of 
you haven't seen the, the big companies out there. You haven't seen, you know, the Apples of the world, the Broadcoms of the world, the ones that are doing a lot of the heavy-duty designs, the AMDs of the world. Um, really, really have yet to see Intel manufacturing for some of the most important chip makers that are out there. Also saw one of the other negatives, you know, that would work against an investment in Intel right now is they really are losing a lot of momentum in the data center group. Uh, not only did they sell off a lot of the design blueprints that they had from uh, their own data center solutions group, uh, they, these were kind of the pre-built servers that were designed that, that uh, data centers might want to use to install the servers for their own computing purposes. They sold that off just recently here. They want to focus more on a different strategy getting away from that. And that might not be the worst idea. Intel's data center revenues were down 39% year over year. And a year ago, this division was providing an operating income of $1.5 billion. Uh, this quarter, it's providing an operating loss of about half a billion dollars. Uh, this is a real problem. The data center is supposed to be the most lucrative division of the computing world, right? You look at NVIDIA, how they're putting um, their uh, their GPUs, you know, their H100s, their A100s out there for AI. There's now a new wave of, of generative AI. You know, there's, uh, you know, AMD is uh, kind of putting in their latest Genoa, uh, the Epic 4 processors to handle kind of these, these modern cloud data centers. This is kind of something that's provided a lot of chip makers with a bounty of new business. And yet Intel is, is seeding share, it seems, each and every quarter. At a consolidated level, Intel's finances still look really bad. I just mentioned 39% revenue drop in the data center group. But the, the overall consolidated top line, Intel dropped its revenue 36% year over year. And uh, gross margins fell, you know, down to about 38%. They've guided for those to fall even farther in the coming quarters. Now, that, it's not to say that everything is doomed for Intel. We did mention that uh, there are a, a couple bright points that, that Gelsinger is going to have to really consider. I think the question right now for Intel is, what does it want to, to offload? What does it want to jettison? What product lines, what markets does it not want to participate in anymore? If it is indeed going to focus on Foundry, producing third-party chips for others, and then kind of the right roadmap for producing its own chips as well. It does have a, a pretty good game plan for developing its own R&D efforts. We've seen the Intel 7 and the Intel 4 process technologies ramping up. It's also got the Intel 3, the 20A, and the 18A. That's 18 angstrom, uh, which is even smaller than 2 nanometers at least nominally, if, if not completely physically. Uh, but Intel is making progress in, in producing smaller and smaller transistors to have denser and denser and more powerful chips that it is producing. So that might be one bright spot. Uh, they did spin off their Mobileye division. This is for autonomous vehicles. They sold it for about $17 billion after acquiring it just a few years earlier at $15 billion. And then they are trying, you know, through ARM and others to kind of build a partnership and ecosystem similar to what Taiwan Simi has done, where they're sharing of design and the newest process technologies can be incorporated into that to create the most cutting edge chips. So there's a good plan. I, I like the strategy. I think we've got the right person at the helm for Intel. It's just a matter of the execution has not happened yet. Uh, will it never happen? We don't know yet. Things like this take a long time. It's not like you can snap your fingers and then all of a sudden you're moving hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of chip production to a new supplier. Intel does have something going with it, that it does have domestic fabs. 
uh, that is certainly of interest for America, especially if there is a conflict, conflict between China and Taiwan. And of course, Intel is doing everything that it can to cut its own costs. You see the deteriorating revenues. They have responded to that by cutting their own dividend earlier this year by 66%. They are estimating $3 billion worth of cost savings in 2023 and up to $10 billion in cost savings by 2025. That year is coming up quickly. Certainly, you're going to have to see uh, there's going to be a lot of fixed costs, right? a lot of layoffs of some of its people and its engineers. Uh, it is going to be stepping away from certain product lines that it doesn't see as very profitable. So we're in a transition again with Intel. It's trying to make the pivot to securing a lot of government funding to build very, very large fabs, selectively play in the markets where it wants to, and then using the extra capacity to manufacture for others. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the execution looks over these next 12 to 18 months. Um, this is where the rubber hits the road and Intel is going to prove what it's going to be like in the future of the computing world. It certainly has been a challenge for the last couple of years, but I think that it's a necessary transition because you can't continue at this pace. So I'm at a hold right now for Intel. I'm not recommending it for 7 Investing. I'm not recommending anyone who's holding it right now to necessarily sell it. The stock is cheap. Um, it has certainly lagged the larger chip designers like NVIDIA hitting a trillion dollars in market cap. Uh, ARM, uh, excuse me, AMD now surpassing Intel on market cap. Intel's still sitting right there around $115, $120 billion in market cap. It's not a cheap valuation. Uh, that is still a very large cap stock, even though I would consider that its risk profile to be increasing here in the last couple of years. So Intel, e, uh, excuse me, I-N-T-C, the ticker on that one. Uh, we, we joked around earlier that they need to do a name change from Intel to Untel because until we see some execution out of the company, uh, it's certainly hard to, to pin down the right valuation for something that's declining in revenue and operating incomes. So that's all that we've got on Intel today. Again, the semiconductor industry is certainly an interesting one with uh, no shortage of things going on, one that's uh, very political, one that is very competitive and certainly very capital intensive. And it's going to be very interesting to see Intel responding to a lot of these recent changes. So if you would like to see our actual stock market recommendations each and every month, please visit 7investing.com. If you would like to get started with a subscription to 7investing, we not only provide our reports, but also an interactive way to chat directly with our advisors through monthly subscriber calls. And we also have some fun with our own team having video deep dives to not only look at the opportunities of those stock recommendations, but also talk about their risks that they face as well. So all of this is at 7investing.com slash subscribe. You can get started for just $1. The first week of your uh, of your trial of the subscription of the membership is just $1. So we encourage everyone to please come check that out as well. My name is Simon Erickson, giving an update on Intel here today. We appreciate your time. We hope you have a great week. And we're here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing.